welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin the week the best way that we know how, and that is by talking IU hoops and Big Ten hoops, uh, which we will do here today with Mike DeCourcy. Uh, two quick housekeeping notes off the top. Number one, uh, obviously IU plays Michigan State on Thursday night. We will have the IU-Michigan State postgame show immediately following that game. It's an 8.30 Eastern time start, so make sure that you get some sleep this week leading up to it. And then that will double as our Assembly Call radio recording as well on Thursday night. And then don't forget, February 8th, if you are going to be in town in Bloomington after the Purdue game, we're doing a live postgame show at Switchyard Brewery right afterwards. So we would love to see as many of you there as can possibly be there. Um, that would obviously be wonderful. It's always the best part about going to Bloomington and going to the game is being able to see so many of you shake your hands and thank you for being part of this audience. So uh, that's Switchyard right after the IU-Purdue game. And now, I am pleased to welcome in, as we always do on Mondays, from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and now as a bracketologist for Fox, one of the hardest working men in college hoops, the venerable Mike DeCourcy. And Mike, let's just jump right into it this week. Indiana did what it needed to do by picking up at least one win on the road in a pair of games against Rutgers and Nebraska. Do you feel like you learned anything important about the Hoosiers this past week? Well, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily learned all that much new with the exception of Joey Brunk's ability to hit that 15, 14 footer. I don't think I'd seen that before either at Butler or at IU. And he looked very comfortable in that. And that, you know, that, I don't know if Arch has given a lot of thought to that, but that gives them not only the option to throw the ball to him in the high post and hope for something good to happen, but also maybe you could incorporate some high-low stuff with him there because if they drop off to, to guard for the pass, he can take that shot. And if they don't, you can feed it over the top to Trace Jackson Davis. So that, that's, you know, that's an action that, I mean, Kansas won a lot of games on that. And, and it's, not a, you know, it's not an easy pass to master. And maybe it's a little late, but it might be at least something you could have in your toolbox. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, you have enough bad positions. That <laughs> yeah. it is. I mean, one one small turnover on a post pass isn't going to kill you. So it might hey, be something. Yeah, that, if, if the guards aren't going to spread the yeah. floor, big guys, just do it yourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's something that, like I said, Kansas has made work for decades. And sometimes they've had great shooting teams around it. Sometimes they haven't. But it's still a hard action to guard. Yeah, it is. You know, you mentioned Joey hitting that shot. Duran actually hit one. Trace Jackson Davis hit one earlier in the half. It still, as I kind of think back about that game, you know, I kind of smirk when I think about those shots because they're just not shots that we've seen. But, you know, if that is something that could be in the arsenal, I agree with you. It's worth maybe teasing out a little bit more to see if that wasn't just a one-night wonder type thing because it could really help the offense. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't have to, like I said, you don't even have to necessarily incorporate the high-low stuff to just get that that po that high post entry uh, into it and allow them to make plays off it because, you know, uh, Trace can handle off that. Um, if Joey can make that shot, I mean, it's, it's something that they could really add. And let, I had not seen that before again, as I said, from Joey. So yeah. uh, it's a team that can use all the weapons it can get from the offensive standpoint. For sure. You know, that kind of leads me into my next question, which is that Indiana is clearly sitting in a good spot at four and three, but any in the conference, but any realistic view of their conference record should note that three of the wins came against Northwestern and Nebraska, which are, you know, clearly the two worst teams in the conference, the two lowest rated teams in the conference. And the other one came against, you know, maybe the coldest team in the country, which is Ohio State. So they still it's good to get those in the bank. 
but obviously they still have a lot of work to do. Do you think that the Hoosiers are legitimately kind of like a tier two level Big Ten team where they sit right now? Or do you see them falling back as the schedule stiffens? Well, I think it depends on how they perform. And by that, I mean, to this point, at Assembly Hall, with the exception of the last eight minutes, nine minutes against Arkansas, they have been a team that has performed very well at home and has protected home court. And if that's all they are between now and the Big Ten tournament, they're going to make it. They're going to make the show with that. Uh, and they're going to beat some really good teams. And they're, and, and they're going to be at worst a middle-of-the-pack NCAA tournament seed somewhere between probably 8 and 11. I mean, that, if, that, if that's all they do, and if you could just improve your execution a little bit, uh, your, the, the, the execution by the guards, whether it's how they defend uh, or more importantly, I, mean, I don't mean more importantly, but more to the issues, um, how you execute your offense under game pressure. I mean, the Nebraska game became a close game because you stopped throwing the ball inside. And that those Joey, Deron, Trace, and Justin shot 22 of 30 from the field. And this I did the math on Saturday, exactly what that adds up to, but it's like 80%, 75%, whatever it is, it's great. Yeah. And but 30 isn't enough. I mean, that's four guys sharing 30 shots. That's eight shots a guy, less than eight shots a guy. And if they're, if they're making way more than half and, and you're struggling to get buckets to stop a run, there's just no way that that, that that number should be where it is. So I, I was disappointed in that aspect of it. Everything else was really good. They had the intensity they needed. They executed really well to get ahead. It started the second half, like, Let's get this thing done, get it over with, get back on the plane, go home, enjoy it. And then they stopped when Nebraska started to play freely, play, started to play. You know, Nebraska played a lot of ball this year where it's just, ah, we're not going to win probably, so let's, you know, let's take some shots, see if we can get back in it. That, that, there's an advantage to that team. It's, it's inextricable it, it, that from, from that team's persona at that moment. They don't have anything to lose. So you have everything to lose, including the game that you have in your pocket. You have to be able to execute good, solid offense and get fouled or get good shots so that you stop their run and or you suck the life out of it by taking time on off the shot clock. Hoosiers, once again, didn't do that. Uh, and And the game got closer than it needed to be. And so if they're that team at home, it's problematic because the crowd will get restless and and maybe that you know and, and the teams will be better because I don't know how much you've talked about this. I think I brought it up on the show last week. Your last that was your last easy game. That's oh, it. Oh, it's been discussed. <laughs> there are no more. Yeah. All you got left is teams that are fighting to get in. Teams that are that have a legit chance that right now are either in my fox bracket or are among the first four out. Uh, Purdue and Minnesota are on the first four out. Some people, Andy Katz at ESPN has them in. I can't buy 12 teams when two of them are only a couple games over 500. They're all good enough. 
but I don't buy them all getting in unless they find unless somehow the math works out so that all the records look presentable, but they're all involved and every one of them is, you know, fighting, fighting for their lives. So you're going to have to be better than some good basketball teams. Andy Katz is also just a very genuinely positive guy, I feel like, and would put all 353 teams in if he could. Like, <laughs> no, like, like, and no mean it. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's tougher than you think. He's tougher than you think. Um, so Indiana's two matchups coming up this week. You know, last week was big. You got to try and get one, you know, road victory. You look at this this week. I mean, obviously, you know, the expectation is win all your home games. But when you have, you know, two of the, the best teams in the Big Ten coming in, Michigan State and Maryland, there's probably a path to only winning one of these games where you feel okay. But, again, I think the expectation should be win both of them. What, what do you see in these two matchups, and which one do you think is maybe more advantageous for Indiana to be able to take advantage of? Well, I think that the Maryland game is, is the one that looks on paper to be more winnable. Maryland hasn't played well away from home at all. And you get them off the East Coast and they have, you know, I mean, they went to Iowa and were absolutely lifeless. They scored 49 points against Iowa. I mean, Iowa is a really good team, but, you know, that's not Virginia 2019 out there. You know, they they give up buckets. And yet Maryland went out there on a Friday night and scored 49 points. So. That's so that's a game that you should think that them coming into your building, they've they've build wise, you know, structurally, they won't overpower you because they don't play with they don't play power. I mean, they play a six, seven freshman small four or power forward who, you know, probably if he ever plays professionally, he'll probably be a small forward. He's not you know, he's not super tall and he's not I mean, he's got a you know, he's for a freshman. He's pretty physical, but he's not overwhelming um and then they play a center who's a converted stretch four who's battling and he's great but he's you know he's only one and they haven't gotten a lot as much as i expected to be honest uh out of their freshman uh, who was injured earlier in the year uh who i who i really like a lot i think he's got great ability but it just he had they haven't quite worked him into it yet. And then they've got a collection of guards and wings who are, uh, who are very dynamic at their best, but can be erratic at their worst. And although I think this is a very good basketball team, mostly because Jalen Smith is just absolutely willing it to be so. And Anthony Cowan is a fine big 10 point guard does some really nice things. I think that, you know, if you're Indiana, you've got to look at that and say, we have to get this game. They haven't been they haven't been good enough on the road for us to feel like we shouldn't win it. Uh, that that should be the attitude. When I say we, I mean we. You know, that should be their attitude. I'm not saying I'm not making myself right. one. Of the, we use uh, we here on this show. We're part of it. Yes, I know. That's why I have to differentiate. <laughs> uh, that's but that's you know that's uh, you know that's so, that's that's got to be the approach. Michigan State. You know, they've got a nice little run going against the Spartans, but that is the deepest and most versatile team in the league. They've got two of the seven or eight best players, and in most leagues, it'd be two of the five best players. But there's just so many good guys in this league. It, you know, the list is a little longer. So it's a hard game wherever you play it. If you win it, awesome. I mean, that's a win that'll never go away. But uh, 
if you don't win that one, but you beat Maryland, then you should feel fine. Although you'd certainly want to steal one on the road to make up for that against whomever. Yeah. Be interesting to see how Tom Izzo defends Justin Smith uh, <laughs> this year because he lamented just Justin hitting all those threes. I wonder if he'll change his approach or let him continue to shoot because, uh, man, Justin was great in both those games last year. Actually, yes. he and Devontae Green were both outstanding, and I feel like Indiana's going to need similar performances from those those guys to get that win, um, which they're certainly capable of. Let's yes. talk Big Ten at large. Here's a question that you know I never really thought I would ask. Not is Rutgers in your top four power rankings, but where is Rutgers <laughs> in your top four? I'm just going to assume it at this point. They are. They are. <laughs> you know, Michigan State, I mentioned number one. Maryland, uh, again, um, problematic. Their performances away from home. Uh, but the, you know, the play, their play down in Orlando, I think it was Orlando their tournament was. It helps them. On the road, road, uh, haven't been good enough, but no one in the league has. So that, that tournament down there, uh, that gives them the advantage. And so they are number two Rutgers, another team, although playing outstanding basketball hasn't achieved much away from home. Although unlike some teams in this league and Maryland would be an example that, um, been very competitive in almost all their road games. I mean, they went to Illinois and they battle and that's what they do. They battle. So, uh, that's, you know, even though they don't have a lot of success on the road, they don't have a lot of massive failure either. And I think that helps them at least from a metric standpoint. That matters. That really matters. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. you know, I think especially now, um, you know, in the Ken Palm era with the net ranking, having replaced the straight results concept of, of the, uh, RPI, uh, it does help them. And then the fourth team, uh, would be Illinois. Uh, Illinois has played very well lately. Uh, again, you know, the hottest team in the big 10 is whoever who is whomever's schedule just recently had them at home. I mean, that's the reality. It's Michigan state, at least for now, their, their schedule toughens in February, but right now it's Michigan state and whoever's played at home. And Illinois has been that team. They think they've won four in a row. Three of those were at home. And one the other one, I'm not sure that might've been a Nebraska. Game. No, no, that was the Wisconsin game. So they have one of, you know, it's interesting. There are three road wins against tournament contenders in the league right now for like the whole season. There, are, I think there are seven road wins. I think it's two each against Nebraska and Northwestern. Yeah. And Wisconsin has two road wins, one at Penn State, one at Ohio State. And Illinois has the win at Wisconsin. And that's it. It's amazing. Oh, it just shows you how really difficult it is to, to win at home. And, you know, honestly – I, I, at this point, every, all 12 of the teams, the, the, the involved teams, you know, their fans are a player in this now because you got to make it as tough a home court within, you know, within the boundaries of good taste. You have to make it as tough a place to play in your building as you possibly can, because if you don't rest assured, you know, Breslin is, you know, Mackey is. You know, uh, you know, the Orange Crush is getting it going in, in, in Illinois. So if your team, if your if your if your student crowd and your fan base isn't responding in that way, your team's at a disadvantage. Yeah. And at some point, you know, 
the narrative might start feeding itself where, you know, it's, it's like teams just see that no road teams are winning and they almost go in subconsciously psyched out a little bit. So I agree with you. If you're going to these games, you got to get up for them, make it as loud and difficult as possible. Make those rafters shake. No question yes. about it. Question for you about Rutgers. Is this, it's been really impressive. And I feel like they're still kind of at the stage where other Big Ten teams are like, hey, go Rutgers. All right. Like, it's kind of nice to see them. That won't last for very long. Um, but is, is it built to last? Meaning, you know, do you think Steve Peichel with how he's doing, is he going to be a candidate to get a bigger job and would he take one? Or is the way that they're recruiting sustainable? Are they committed to basketball? Or is this going to be one of those things where they jump up because they just got a particularly good set of players that gelled? Or do you really see this having some staying power? Well, I, first of all, I think he's a magnificent coach. Uh, I think he, I agree. His concepts, his his uh, his ideas, his, the, his teaching methods, all work. Uh, I, I think he has a great eye for talent. Which I wonder if he if he I have to ask him this whether he picked it up by being around Calhoun because Calhoun that was you know like I used to write about how all the greats all the you know the Hall of Fame guys all have something that they do better than everybody else like. Uh, Shashevsky teaches communication better than everybody. Uh, Izzo teaches intensity better than everybody. Calipari teaches teaches defensive effort uh, better than everybody. And everybody has their own thing uh, that they are are better at than than just about anybody could be. And and for, for Calhoun, it was eye for talent, the best. I mean... Ray Allen was 40th in his class. He walks onto the floor at UConn, and he's one of the, he's one of the two best freshmen in the country like that day. Um, Shabazz Napier, eh, 75th in the country, wins two national championships, first team, second team All-American. And, and, and there are, you know, yeah, he got his share of Rip Hamiltons and, uh, and guys like that, Danielle Marshalls, but most of the guys that were the core, Kevin Freeman in 99, um, it, it, Emeka Okafor was 95th in his class, was the second player taken in his draft after his UConn career. Those, those are all these stories. So I, I look at Pike, and we were talking about this on Big Ten and Beyond yesterday. Um, the players like Miles uh, like, um, Johnson was in the 400s. Um, Geo Baker was lower than that. And yet look at him now, like you would look at Miles Johnson and say, well, how can, how can no one see that he's a player? How could no one think that Geo Baker was a player? But they, they didn't then. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the scouts were wrong. It just means that he saw something that they didn't, or he saw how they fit what he wanted them to do. And it's worked out beautifully. And like neither of those guys is averaging double, fig, you know, high double figures in the teens or whatever, but they're very, uh, successful college basketball players. So that I think is what really works. And, and that can sustain itself. You find guys that no one else loves in, in today's recruiting. The reality is 95% of players go to the highest league that offers them. It doesn't even have to, like, if you are the best team in the Atlantic 10, say, and the worst team in the big 10 offers you a scholarship, you're in, you know, you're, you're probably getting aced out. That's just the way recruiting is now. I mean, it has been really probably for the last 15 years since coverage of recruiting became a thing and social media became a thing on top of that. 
Guys didn't want to explain to their friends why they weren't going to the Big Ten or ACC or SEC. They were going to the Atlantic Ten because they really liked the coach and it was really going to fit me. Nobody does that anymore, hardly. Guys who wind up in those leagues, maybe some like Obi Toppin's a great player because everybody missed. You know, nobody saw it. He, he grew a bunch between his junior or actually during a prep school year, became a monster, and he's great. He's a first-team All-American. But that's that's what has to happen. Uh, the rarity, you know, a Fred Van Bleet who was like almost a hundred, like he was a hundred in one in, in uh, I think scout had him a hundred and he goes to, to Wichita. I mean, that's a rarity. So, yeah. so that's why I think it can sustain itself there because of those two things. Great coach, great eye for talent. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it seems like if he stays, that's going to be built to last. I mean, it's, you watch Rutgers and you can watch them for five minutes and say, that's a team. Like, no individual yeah. talent steps out, but they just function as a team and play hard for right. each other. It's like you watch Nebraska, and it's like, this looks like a group of guys that are just getting to know each other. Like, you just you can just see it, you know? And so that's what's, you know, it's fun to watch them play. It's not fun to play against them because they bludgeon yeah. you, but, you know, it's, it's fun to watch them play. Um, so as we look around the conference this week, uh, or this last week, just in terms of the games you saw, any individual performances stand out in particular? Well, Luca Garza on uh, Friday night was magnificent again, underscoring his candidacy for first team All-American and national player of the year. I thought he was just absolutely amazing in that game against Michigan. I thought it was good for Michigan, even though they lost to see Eli Brooks uh, bounce back because he had been really struggling and, and he played fantastically in that game. I thought Johnson, Miles Johnson, who I mentioned earlier, going up against Daniel Oturu. Oturu was really on a roll. And even with uh, Miles really bothering him with his length, Daniel still wound up with 19 and 9, which says something about how great Daniel is and, and, and how really uh, wonderful he is. Uh, I thought that that was really impressive uh, on Saturday, Sunday afternoon. So those are a couple guys that, that really stood out to me. Uh, uh, Miles Johnson and, and Luca Garza, but the, you know, the league, you can find a hero in almost every game, CJ Frederick making threes. They, they really needed that. Yeah. And, and especially in that game, because Michigan played well and, you know, CJ came off an injury uh, that they worried might finish him for the year. And that might've finished you know, to an extent might've finished the Hawks for a year, but uh, he came out and, and just started nailing shots again. That was a fun game to watch. It was a difficult game to watch on the heels of the IU Rutgers game because you saw so much shot making, and it's like, oh man, <laughs> this is what basketball can be. And then you know yeah. we saw some against Nebraska, so it was okay. But that actually that brings up an interesting question because I was thinking watching that game and watching you know Xavier Simpson and Eli Brooks and Frederick and Wieskamp and like all these guards, all these wing players that are just really skilled players can make shots, you know, can do things like they just have a lot of basketball skill and. It made me think about some of the deficiencies of our guards. Not that they don't have that, but they're just, they don't seem as complete as some of these other guys, certainly from a shot making perspective. When you look at Indiana's quartet of guards, Devontae, Al, Rob, and Armand, how many, and you know, just kind of off the top of your head, because I didn't prepare you for this, but how many groups of guards in the Big Ten would you clearly take them over? Well, obviously, Northwestern's in Nebraska, that's an easy one. Yeah. I would right now take them over Purdue's. I don't know down the road. Um, 
what Isaiah Thompson's going to be. I like him. Um, yeah. Obviously, he has to get physically stronger, but I like him. I think he's going to be very good. Is he going to be better than Armand? Armand has more components to be good, uh, more size, great elusiveness with the ball. Um, yeah, and and all you know, and I, I think both of them have work to do on their shot, but they both can make a shot. Yeah. So I, you know, so I would say that at this point, I would take them over Purdue's guys. Uh, I pro- Penn State's are a tough one because they've got some real explosiveness and they can really get going, but I don't see quite the same playmaking, for lack of a better term. In like, if, if I had to have Penn State's or Indiana's, I want Penn State's because I got at least one, maybe two guys that can run an offense. And it, and at Indiana's, excuse me, at Penn State's, I don't know that they really have a true point. And Jamari Wheeler's doing a nice job in terms of trying to keep things settled and the ball going in the right direction, at least getting started. And he's a very good defender, but when the ball comes back around to him, he's not a threat to make a play. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's not a threat to, uh, to drive and dump or he, he can go by you, but he's not a great passer. Uh, he's not a, he's not a really creative guy. He's a, he's a tough physical guard who can really defend. Um, but he doesn't have the vision thing as they say. Uh, so I, so I, again, I think that would give them an advantage over Penn States as well, but then it starts to get pretty tough. I mean, Illinois has got IO, uh, I, I'm going with the Illinois just based on him. Um, it, you know, in Iowa, I would go with Iowa because of the rely, the greater reliability of the shot making. Although they have problems at point as well. Yeah. You know, that might make it a tougher call. Um, you know, it, it they're, they're just, you know, uh, there's not all the way there yet uh, with Joe Toussaint. He has great games and then he has games where he really struggles. Eventually he's going to be very good, but he's not, you know, not all the way there yet. Uh, you know, Maryland's guards, you, you've got a senior point guard there. So, you know, you're not going to take, uh, you're not going to take Indiana's guys over a guy who's been all league and all defense and all that sort of stuff. So it's a probably about a third, maybe at best. Ohio State's might be the other one that's in that conversation, depending on which group shows up. You know, yeah, been but, so you up know and down. I, I would still, I would go with, I, I, even though they haven't played the way they should and have had problems, obviously that just spent two of them. Um, I still get DJ Carton if I take Ohio state. And although he has not been over the course of the last month, the player that I saw the first month of the season, I mean, the Kentucky game. I mean, I, 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 I said that I thought that he was ready to be a final four point guard doing the studio work that day. And I regret that because since then he has not performed at all. He's had moments, but not many games. But I still think he's a he's a real talent. Back in 2016, after Indiana beat Kansas and Curtis Jones had 15 points, I said Curtis Jones was going to be the next great guard at Indiana University. So I've been there, been there, overreacting <laughs> to to a freshman's early season success. Uh, you know, I think DJ Carton <laughs> will be a, will be ready to be a point guard, uh, final four point guard at some point. But I've give uh, I've. I've not quite given up, but I'm I'm much less uh, enthusiastic about it being this season. Yes, yes. Um, so we know, obviously, two of the big games, high-profile games Indiana is going to be in this week against Michigan State and Maryland. What are some of the other really important games uh, in the conference this week that we should watch out for? The interesting thing is about the Big Ten now is that almost every game, you know, really, 
essentially every game is an important game because 90% of the league, again, not doing the actual math on that, but 90% of the league is involved in the NCAA tournament. So there almost are no small games. There's either the games between two teams that are in it, or there are the games between a team that's in it and a team that can hurt them. And that's not, see, that's not many games, but it's some. So like, and both of those teams, both Northwestern and Nebraska have been, for the most part, really competitive. They're not pushovers. No, they're not. I mean, Nebraska is doing a nice job maximizing what they have. uh, And of course, their home court advantage is great. And then Northwestern, they have good players. They're just, they just don't have enough of them, uh, enough of them healthy. And they're, they're they're just too young. But they, you know, Robbie Barron's is really going to be a good player in the Big Ten. Uh, and, and Boo Booey, who's not playing right now, is going to be a really good player in the Big Ten. And Ryan Young is going to be a tough, physical, four-year big guy that by his junior, senior year is going to be a real uh, real tough one to deal with. So, uh, you know, they went down to Illinois on Saturday and played them to the very end. And so but every game is big, but the two that, uh, are most notice, noticeable to me on Tuesday, Purdue and Illinois, Illinois. Now, like I said, hot team. Now they got to go to a place that although Purdue has not been a universally great team this year, they have been an incredible team at home. I mean, they have just been monstrous there. They had the Texas loss early and nothing since uh, nothing but victory since I should say. And so Illinois has got to go deal with that. And then the other one is Rutgers, Iowa. Again, Rutgers hot team because they played a lot at home lately, and now they got to go to Iowa, which is you know is as fun to watch as any team in the country because they that's the way they play, and so it'll be real interesting. I mean, basically, you have uh, the best offensive team in the league against the best defensive team in the league, so really will be fascinating to see which of those prevails. Yeah, it will be. It's an interesting contrast of styles because that feels like the kind of team that Iowa has struggled with. Um, it, last question for you about them, because they have been a team in the recent past under Fran McCaffrey that has started well but faded at the end of seasons. Do you see what they're doing now and this group of players as being able to sustain this more through February, or is that something that right now that's baked into the Fran at Iowa experience? You know, I wonder if Fran has mellowed a little um, over, over time, because last year's team didn't fade. At all. I mean, they went in and they played a really good Cincinnati team. And even though they got down early, they fought back and won. Even though they got down early against Tennessee, got down huge early, should have been out of the game, came that close. That was an amazing game. The volunteers out. I mean, it was down to the final second. And they were down like 20, 25 in the first half. I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was huge. And they came back. So I wonder if he's, you know... He still has great intensity as a coach, but I wonder if it's a little aimed a little differently. Maybe. I mean, if you watch him on the sidelines, he's not the way he was five, six, seven years ago. The um, the, the Fran Con tweets, the memes aren't quite as <laughs> yeah. He still plentiful. has his moments, but all coaches do yeah. for the most part. Um, so I, I wonder if it's different now, uh, and and I you know I, I think the guys are different too. I mean. There was an iteration of, of Hawkeyes a few years ago that were pretty good, and I didn't think they hung in there when they could have, 
even if he was tough on them and that was a reason, I still thought they had I'm not going to single out the team, but um, because it identifies the guys. But I thought those guys kind of um, could have done more with what they had. Yeah. So, and again, they may have had their reasons, but I didn't think they battled the way they could have. But I didn't see, like I said, last year's guys, those guys hung in there and they weren't really ready to be good yet. And they still battle. And then these guys are much more ready to be good, much more sure of who they are. Obviously, it would be helpful to have a healthy Jordan, uh, Jordan Bohannon if they did. But they're making up for that. And they're doing a nice job of mixing and matching the point guards so that uh, when it's not Toussaint's day, they can find a way around it. Yeah, you're right. They did in the, in the tournament. They really bounced back last year. I guess it was in Big Ten play where they lost five of their last six. And you go back in 2018, they lost six of their last seven in Big Ten play prior to the Big Ten tournament. Uh, you know, three of their last seven before that. And then in 2016, six out of seven, six out of eight to, to end. So they've kind of faded in Big Ten play, but then sometimes turned it back around for the tournament. So we'll see. It feels like a guy like Luca Garza has a little different level of toughness maybe than what we've seen from some of their other guys. And maybe he can insulate him against that. He's, he's a fun player to watch. Really fun player yeah, to watch. Yeah, uh, different level of toughness. It was so funny uh, on Beyond when uh, when when Stephen Bardo was talking about him and talked about how you know he gets elbowed in the face and you know <laughs> and headbutted and broken nose. He said, "No, what he said was this is what cracked me up." He said, "Every single game, he's got cotton stuffed up his nose." That's <laughs> I thought that was the best description of Luca Garza that you could possibly have. Iowa always has a guy like that. I mean, it's just you know, just always an Iowa player like that for as long as I've been watching basketball. Well, Mike, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here as always. And hopefully, hey, when you're, you know, you talked about how the hottest teams in the Big Ten are the teams that have their home games. Hopefully uh, next week when we talk, Indiana will be one of those hot teams with a couple of big victories. So there you go. We will see. Thank you very much and uh, enjoy your week covering the conference. Thanks, Jared. Cool. Thanks, Mike. The great Mike DeCourcy is always joining us here on Monday afternoons, talking IU hoops, talking Big Ten hoops. We always appreciate uh, his his insights. I know uh, my appreciation to Steve Fisher in the chat mob with a couple of uh, question suggestions. You know, I try to save questions about, you know, big picture thoughts on Archie Miller, big picture thoughts about the program until we get to the offseason. You know, it, it's just kind of how our show's always been is really trying to focus on the moment, trying to focus on the next game that week. Uh, I feel like those conversations are a little bit more relevant to right now, to this season, but those are great questions. And definitely in the off season, you know, when we talk to Mike, uh, we'll definitely ask those uh, because that's, to me, that's when you start having those conversations. You know, I mean, I think I've said this before, you know, you don't, you don't want to look at, okay, the bar for success for this team is just making it to the tournament. And if we go 10 and 10 in conference, we'll be happy. Like that's fine for this year's team, given how we ended the season, the expectations, the roster, where we are. But in a macro sense, that can't be the expectation next year. Like it needs to be on the path to something greater. So those conversations are good to have in the offseason, and we absolutely uh, will have them. All right. I have to bounce off here. No time for the mailbag uh, this week. My apologies, but always want to try and get the interview in there with Mike when we can. So we'll be back Thursday for IU Michigan State. Um, and just a quick reminder. Uh, Homefield Apparel, if you're listening to this on Monday or on Tuesday, if you go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code 200, spelled out T W O H U N D R E D, 
you can buy two t-shirts and get one free. It's a sale that they're doing to celebrate Indiana's bicentennial. Today is actually uh, Indiana's 200th birthday. So happy birthday to Indiana University. Isn't it amazing that 200 years later, I'm here on a podcast talking about IU basketball. You're listening to it, and it's all because Indiana University was founded 200 years ago. It brought us here to this moment, which is kind of crazy to think about. But if you want to celebrate by buying shirts and buying the best shirts, go to homefieldapparel.com, and you can use that promo code 200, all spelled out, to get the shirt deal. If you don't want shirts, but you want to get the normal stuff, the hoodies, everything else, you can still use Assembly 2.0 to get 20% off. So use those for gear. Uh, and then if you are going to get tickets, that URL, iutickets.shop, will take you right to the IU listings on SeatGeek. Uh, if you're going to get tickets to the IU-Purdue game, by the way, because Andy and I were just talking about this this weekend because we were getting all of our tickets in order for everybody to go to the game, prices are going up uh, for that one. And it's a hot ticket. So if you want to go, I would definitely go soon and get your tickets there. Um, and if not, you can go watch the game at Switchyard. I think you know there's going to be a group of folks there who are watching the game who can't actually go to the game, so that would be another option. But if you use iutickets.shop, it'll take you right there, and then the promo code assembly will get you $10 off your first purchase. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. We'll be back Thursday night, IU Michigan State. Hopefully, we are talking about a third straight victory over the Spartans. Almost don't want to like say that out loud. feel like it would jinx it, but you know what? It's not about jinxes. It's about Assembly Hall bringing it. It's about Devontae Green and Justin Smith and Indiana's upperclassmen bringing it and Rob Finnessy playing that defense on Cassius Winston like we know he's capable. And maybe you know a guy like Jerome Hunter or Race Thompson coming up with a big performance that you're not expecting. That's what wins those games. And the fan support wins those games. So let's go. Let's get that big victory over Michigan State. Use that as momentum for this Maryland team that isn't playing very good on the road. Let's just go 2-0 and this week. What am I talking about with Mike DeCourcy that there's a path to going 1-1 one and one and feeling good about it? Shut up, Jared. We should go 2-0. and Let's go. We should go 2-0 and this week. Let's do it. And let's have two victorious episodes of the Assembly Call. And that is how we're shutting this show down. I will talk to you guys on Thursday night. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.